the particular verses I want to concentrate on tonight, which is um, uh, 2 Chronicles um, verses, uh, um, chapter 20 and verses 35, 35, which is at the end of uh, that passage, 35 to 38. Now, after this you know, great um, uh, experience of deliverance in battle and also after a, um, a life of, uh, of uh, on the whole, obedience to God, on the whole, obedience to God, Jehoshaphat died. But then we're actually given a, a sort of as a PS after uh, the story of the end of his life. Um, we're told of something that actually happened during his reign. It says in verse 38, sorry, verse 36, After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. That's the northern kingdom. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish. And they built the ships in Ezion-Geba, which is on the Red Sea. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavu of Marashesh, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you've joined with Ahaziah, the Lord will destroy what you've made. And the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. And then on, in fact, we know from uh, the other passage, which we're going to look at now, to Ophir, which was a place which was um, a place where gold was imported from, either gold ore or gold ingots. So can we now turn to 1 Kings 22? And again, it's just a, uh, a short set of verses. 1 Kings 22. Verses 48 to 49. Now that's um, on page uh, 359. And so you'll see it says in verse 48, Josephat made ships of Tarshish to go to Ophir for gold. But they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geba. Then Ahaliah, sorry, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants in the ships. Now this was going one further than uh, so far. Uh, he originally was making the ships with um, Ahaziah for, um, for economic purposes. But now Ahaziah said, well, okay, your, your, your ships have been wrecked, but now let's, let's actually restart this business and this time my sailors will come with you. But this time Jehoshaphat was not willing. Okay, simple passages. I want to now um, pray and ask God to uh, give us um, help as we look into the word. Oh Father in heaven, we thank you that that, uh, the Old Testament was written for our instruction upon us whom the ends of the world has come. And Lord, with the coming of Christ, Lord, salvation in all of its fullness has been revealed. And we thank you that with the help of the Spirit of God, the Old Testament scriptures that just seem antiquated text can become real for our lives today. Uh, Lord, we thank you that these things were recorded even the failures of your people and even the evil things of, of unbelievers were recorded 
for our encouragement, our help and our correction. Lord, speak to us this evening and encourage us, we pray, and correct us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to give a brief summary of the sermon. Uh, this is a sermon about a mass shipwreck that was a financial disaster to the king of Judah, uh, as well as to the northern king. And this shipwreck came about because of disobedience with someone who up to then, Josiah, by and large, obeyed uh, the voice of uh, the prophets of God in his day and also um, uh, followed the teaching of, uh, of the Old Testament to a, to, a, to a large extent, though not to a complete extent. Now, it's also about the mass shipwrecks of the, of the kings of both the north and the south. With some honorable exception, the line of kings that, that stretched over the next few hundred years from, from, uh, from Solomon's son, Rehoboam, for the next uh, uh, couple of hundred years were disasters, and many of them were shipwrecks. Uh, the stories both uh, certainly of Israel, but also to a certain extent of Judah, was a line of corrupt, egotistical careerists, murderers, dictators, psychopaths. Some were good men. They, they were, on, by, by and large, exceptional. Some were sort of average, went along, went along with uh, the corruption, but weren't that bad. But some were monsters. So, it's about that, but it actually, it is also, though, about the life of us today, Christians. Because although we're not controlling anything, you know, we're just nobodies, what we do have uh, possession of, if not control over, is our bodies and our souls. And God wishes our bodies, as we were hearing this morning from Henry, our bodies to be temples of the Holy Spirit, to be part of the kingdom of God, where Jesus is boss and rules over all different parts of our, of our lives. And we heard very, very helpfully this morning, if you didn't hear this sermon this morning, please listen to it online, about how God wants to be in control of, of our, our lives, our married lives and our, our, our sexual lives. He wants to be in control of us uh, as uh, he is um, the Lord of all. He's also to be the Lord of our souls. So it's also about our personal disasters. And just like um, uh, the Old Testament contains stories of personal disasters, it does also contain the disasters and the reclamation from that disaster. Jehoshaphat in particular, he had a, a disaster, not only in terms of the wrecked ships, but actually his wrecked, uh, his wrecked uh, uh, sort of um, a relationship with the Lord in making a crucial error. He recovered. And in God's grace, we will recover and grow stronger in our Christian lives day by day. So let me get on with this quickly because I really don't want to spend too long on this. Firstly, let me just talk about this history of the northern, northern uh, and, and southern kingdoms, this history of spiritual shipwrecks backsliders, psychopaths and scoundrels, and a few good men. I'm going to go quickly through them for a minute. Let's take the northern kingdom. In, in the, uh, in the uh, couple of generations before Jehoshaphat, or generation in, in, it may be, before, before, um, before Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was a contemporary of Ahab, living at the same time. Ahab, if you know anything about uh, kings, the story of Ahab was... 
uh, one of a monstrous man who devoted himself to, to the false gods of the Baals. And uh, he uh, spent the equivalent in our terms of hundreds of millions, probably billions of pounds, on building temp gorgeous temples, modern temples, which archaeologists have recovered and the bits of and have got some idea of the scope of the project to establish Baalism over the whole of, of uh, the Northern Kingdom, which was meant to be devoted to the pure and holy worship of the living God. But instead, he, was, he married an idol worshiper, Jezebel, and, and then tried to impose the... Uh, ruthless, disgusting religion of the Baals. And the Bible gives one simple story exemplifying the mass injustice of his day of a man who owned a little piece of land in which he had a vineyard. And because it was close to, the, to, the, to Ahab's palace, Ahab and Jezebel lusted after that little bit of land. They could have had anywhere they wanted to. They could have perhaps bought it maybe, although it's unlikely he would have sold it because it was his ancestral land. But what did they do? They had him murdered. Now, that's just one little vignette, one little thing which exemplified what the whole of that society was becoming like. Now, Ahab's father was called Omri. Now, you, if you go to the British Museum, uh, there's an actual uh, um, uh, 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 thing on display w uh, w with uh, references to Omri, the, the, the northern. He was actually a, a very powerful leader. He had no right to be the king. He was a general who... Like many of the northern kingdoms, kings were, uh, were careerists, power grabbers, coup leaders, and so on. And he was one of those that took over the leadership. And in fact, uh, during his time, it was a time of prosperity, materially. But it's said of him in 1 Kings 16, in the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king of Israel, and he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than any other before him. Now we have a, uh, in, the, in the book of Kings, it's like a Premier League table, actually, uh, of, uh, of kings that, you know, uh, where are they in the league table? Well, actually, his son Ahab, it's said of Ahab, Ahab uh, was actually higher up in the league table. Because it says in 1 Kings 16.30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him, including Omri. Is, uh, this, uh, now, if we, um, if we uh, actually take Jehoshaphat, now you might say, well, Jehoshaphat, he was a good guy. Yeah, but one of his crucial mistakes was he sought alliances with the northern kingdom, a marriage alliance. And his, he allowed his son, in fact, not allowed, he arranged for his son to marry one of the daughters of Ahab. She was probably about 15. She was a, a, an idol worshipper, and she was one of these crazy, psychopathic, murdering people. Some, you know, it's not just men that are like that. And uh, Jehoram, actually, uh, when he uh, established him firmly over his father's kingdom, what did he do? Probably with the encouragement of his wife. He put all his brothers to death. I'll say it again. He put his brothers to death. The thing is this. How, how can we understand that? This is, a, this is a, a, a person in the line of David. How, how could this happen? And what is God's response? Well, the chronicler gives an actual uh, a response to this. It says in 2 Chronicles 21 verse 7, even though he did these things, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, verse 6 of 
2 Chronicles 21. Nevertheless, because of the covenant the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. Now, therefore, of course, what happens was, was that Jehoram was punished, yes, by God, in history. But his descendants still carried on the line of David. Now, give another example. Omri's granddaughter, Talia, who um, was married to the son of Jehoshaphat, as I said, she was a, what we can only call a murdering psychopath. Um, so when, uh, when, uh, when her husband uh, um, was, uh, one of, one of, was, was killed, what, what does she do? She tried to, she tried to, to kill um, uh, all of the relatives, all of the royal uh, family of the house of Judah. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 22.11, but Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Because um, this wife, uh, Ahab's daughter, was trying to destroy all other members of the royal family. Now, this Joash, who was actually saved as a child, um, and, and kept safe. What happened to him? Well, he was a good guy to be in with. It says that um, when he became king, he restored the temple, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord to begin. Uh, right in the eyes of the Lord to begin with. But then we're told that uh, as he grew older and he started to deviate, deviate from the path of God, when Zechariah ben Jehoiada now, Zechariah ben Jehoiada was a prophet, different from Zechariah later on in the Bible, a writing prophet, this man rebuked him for his sins and he had him put to death. Why did he put him to death? Because he, the, the, the Zechariah said, why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you've forsaken the Lord. Joash started off okay, then was corrupted by relatives, by the people around him, he was assassinated in a palace coup. I could go on. I'm not going to go on any further. Uh, I have got lots of notes of, of, the, of the people that, were, uh, that carried on. Um, it's depressing. Why does the Bible give the, uh, us a record of these evils? And what can we learn from it? Well, firstly, it's a sign of the authenticity of the Bible. The Bible records real history. I said it before, and I will carry on saying it. Time after time, archaeology has verified the facts that are given us in the Bible. There are uh, some exceptions uh, where people come along and say, oh, you know, the archaeology has disproved this or disproved that. And uh, for maybe 10 or 20 years, people start to believe that until, well, then archaeology turfs up something else, digs up something else that proves that after all, the Bible was true. It's a sign of authenticity. It also shows us there's nothing, nothing new under the sun with the kind of societies we have all over the world. Dictators, psychopaths, careerists, people who massacre people uh, in order to get their way. The godfathers of cruelty, they're still alive. They've always been there. Right down the ages they've been there. Massacring people, killing people. A lot of them will come to a terrible end in their own lives because uh, the, the Lord may, will and does often judge people in their lives like Hitler and others that live to see the collapse of their hopes and dreams. 
Uh, but even if not in this life, they will pass from this life to eternal judgment. But as I've said, we can also, we, these are also recorded to correct us as believers today if we compromise with evil. The thing about these kings, as you read the stories, is to see that they uh, often had good starts in life with really wonderful fathers in some cases. But because of friends like Rehoboam, who had lots of young men who were, who were uh, telling him, oh, you don't want to follow these rules. You just go ahead and you, 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 you build these things and you, you oppress people and you force them to work uh, as, as slaves. No problem. They, they obeyed their friends. They were attracted to the depravities of these foreign religions. For whatever reason, they lost their dedication to the Lord if they had it in the first place. Now, we need to understand this. We live in a hostile environment. We live in a corrupt and disgusting world, as, again, Henry was pointing out this morning. And we have to be on our guard that we don't deviate from the, the wholeheartedness to the way of God. Challenge I've mentioned already, are we going to let almighty God rule in our lives, in our bodies, in our souls? Or are there places which are not yet actually taken for God? Um, throughout the book of Kings, it talks about the fact that this king, he did this, these great things, but the high places were not destroyed. The high places were secret places in the mountains and villages weren't so secret but you know places where people could go to worship false false gods and idols and they weren't got rid of and the challenge to us is it as and i'm repeating something that henry said this this morning in a slightly different context are we going to be systematically holy and seek to bring down those high, high places are we going to be wholehearted for the lord are we going to be apathetic we're made aware in these stories of the methods of the, of the devil to affect us socially, as social beings. The way that our social environment, the people around us, ch will change us and make us, bring us down to their level. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.11, These things happened to them in history, judgments upon them, punishments upon people. They were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has, uh, has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And of course, he goes on in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 17 to talk about no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's no excuse for us. We have to just come and admit, Lord, we've often just fallen into that. We've run into that temptation. When God has provided a way of escape for us. But it's also written so that we can have hope when we failed. Paul says in Romans 15 verse 4, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Hope for people like Jehoshaphat, who make, made his mistakes. Hope for people who backslide, who, who wander away, but who can come back because the Lord loves his people and wishes to bring them back. And learning about the way the grace of God has been working in history and is able to turn people away from their shipwrecks to avoid another one, we can also seek to emulate that. Now, 
Let me just, uh, therefore, home in on this particular passage of Jehoshaphat's weak point. And let's see if we can learn from it today in our relationships and uh, in our Christian life. Now, what was uh, Jehoshaphat's weak point, or one of his weak points, his his soft spot? Well, as I read through uh, the, the passages in Kings and Chronicles, and by all means, you, you do the same, uh, there's quite a few pages more than I've actually read, obviously, in the readings. We see that one of the things that seems to have been motivating Joseph out was a desire to reunite the two kingdoms. Now, that you might say that's exemplary. He, he wasn't trying to do it to be the, the, you know, the big conqueror, he, was, he seemed to want to have a peaceful reamalgamation of the two kingdoms, maybe under his kingship, maybe, but we get the impression this was much more uh, seen as a, a, you know, a diplomatic, peaceful resolution to a problem. Now, this determination to reunite two kingdoms actually um, was you know, partly based, actually, maybe have partly been based upon would have been told to Rehoboam when Rehoboam had, uh, had uh, um, decided to go on a war against uh, the, the, uh, uh, um, the northern kingdom. And uh, he was told by the prophet Shemaiah, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3, say to Rehoboam, God says to Shemaiah, son of Solomon, king of Judah, and for all Israel in Judah and Benjamin, this is what the Lord says. Don't go up to fight against your fellow Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the words of the Lord and turned back from marching against Jeroboam. So there were, right from the word go, God was calling for peace between the northern and southern kingdoms. Now, in the, in the next century, there were there were. Uh, fights and, and battles and so on. And it may have well have been Joseph, Joseph wanted to bring all of that to an end peacefully. But his way of doing it was disobedient to God. His determination to reunite the two kingdoms or, or to have peace with it actually involved making a marriage alliance. So his young son Jehoram should marry Hatalia, this daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, I've mentioned already, Ahab and Jezebel ran a, complete, a, 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 a completely corrupt and evil regime based on this immoral cult of, 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 of Baal, the Baals. And Jehoshaphat actually went forward with um, the attempts to, to, uh, to make uh, a peace between the two kingdoms, not just during Ahab's time by making a marriage alliance, but then, of course, um, with uh, the case of, of uh, the, the, uh, the son of uh, Ahab um, when he asked, well, well, perhaps he was approached by, by, by the uh, northern kingdom's king to, well, why don't we have a trade alliance and, and uh, we can make a fleet of ships and we can, you know, we could bring prosperity to the whole kingdom. Now, I was really interested when I was kind of researching around this. I found uh, in an archaeology magazine a, um, a, a photograph. Actually, I, it's on the, uh, the, the, uh, the advert for this, uh, for this evening's service. A photograph of a ship that was shipwrecked 
500 years before the time of Joseph. 500 years before. And uh, it was, um, it was uh, a ship that was a Phoenician ship. Uh, it contained uh, 20 tons of cargo, including raw materials of metal, uh, bringing back copper, not gold, but copper, which consisted of 354 ingots of, in other words, a great big kind of nugget. Well, they were, they were um, properly melted down shaped ingots, and there were 10 tons of them. And it also contained uh, ingots of glass, luxury, luxury goods, beads, scarabs. There even, there even was a cartouche for Queen Nefertiti of Egypt that was found on board this shipwreck sh ship only uh, within the last 15 years. Uh, there were trumpets carved from hippopotamus incisors. There was all kinds of luxury goods on board this ship that was coming, uh, that was coming um, through the Mediterranean and so on. Now, 500 years later, there would have been these kinds of ships available. This kind of cargo. Many, many ships, a whole fleet of them. It was a major international economic project that was being suggested. And uh, Jehoshaphat obviously uh, invested capital, and so did, the, so, so did the northern kingdom. And what happened to it? Well, we read it in the passage. God wrecked it. it was, the, these ships were in harbor, but they were still wrecked. Um, actually, that happened to Caesar's, uh, Caesar's invasion in 55 BC. His, uh, he was, uh, uh, his attempt to firstly invade Britain was, uh, was, was wrecked by, the, uh, by, the, by the, a storm that wrecked his, uh, wrecked his uh, anchored ships. And this great fleet, costing millions, hundreds of millions probably in our terms, and probably maybe over a period of a century bringing in billions of pounds of, of uh, wealth to Israel, destroyed. Now, why did it happen? It happened because Jehoshaphat had actually had a prophet come to him and tell him, you are not to do this. But for whatever reason, this, the prophet was ignored. Now, I just want to uh, here talk about us. Um, let's ourselves be aware of the fact, we've got to be aware of vanity projects in our lives. We set our, our life, our, pro, our, our projects, our hopes, our dreams, on what the Lord uh, is, shows us is the way. Not just, oh yeah, I, I want to be a millionaire. Well, okay, there are Christian millionaires, they do a great job, but make sure the Lord has called you to that desire after, after money, and then make sure that God uh, uh, is in charge of your distribution of that money, because the Bible tells us the only reason God makes rich Christians is so they can give to the poor people, <laughs> not so they can just sit back and enjoy themselves. But whatever it is, make sure that your hopes and dreams, as many um, people say, oh, God can give you your hopes and dreams, and all you have to do is have faith. Well, make sure your hopes and dreams are not corrupt, self-centered, egotistical, pleasure-loving, and totally uh, outside of God's purposes. Now, the second thing to note is this, is the Bible is quite clear that we are not to um, be involved in our hopes and dreams, with unbelievers. Now, I say a bit involved with our hopes and dreams with unbelievers. I mean, um, you see, the Bible says that we shouldn't have really close, dependent relationships with unbelievers. Now, 
Again, Henry mentioned this in the passage this morning, I guess, a, a confirmation of, of, uh, of uh, the fact that so often Scripture says this fact. In the area of romantic relationships, as Henry said, we are not to enter into relationships with people who aren't, who aren't believers. Why? Because two people are going in different directions. As it says in the Old Testament, can two people, um, you know, walk together unless they're agreed? Um, no, you, you go in different directions. So romantic relationships, but this is also in other areas too. It includes business relationships. Paul, when he's uh, talking in um, 2 Corinthians 6, he says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, or Christ and the devil? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As, the, as God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, he uses the, uh, the idea of, of being yoked as an ox. Now, the whole point about the yoke is the ox, oxen depend upon each other in a dependent relationship. Now, we should not be dependent upon unbelievers in our lives. Now, of course, we have employers um, and uh, we have uh, other ways in which uh, we have uh, relationships of, um, uh, in our society. Um, the Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't tell us, oh, you know, you shouldn't have a, 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 be, a, be an employee. And it also doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't have friends who are non-Christians. But what it does say is you shouldn't have friends who you are dependent upon who are, who are non-Christians. Because, well, basically, that's what, that's what it says. Really close relationships with non-Christians is, 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 comes into a problem, which is this, is that a non-Christian has a totally different view of life than a Christian. We have different ethics. You enter into a business project uh, with a non-Christian, you may find yourself dealing with someone who uh, you didn't realize lied maybe didn't, you know, adopted unethical practices, was prepared to, you know, to get money in an unjust way from people, or, in, uh, you know, to cover up tax uh, that should be paid, and so on and so forth. We don't know. It's only with those who are believers that we, who are similarly uh, committed to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can really um, uh, trust them and work with them in a dependent way, depending upon them. And uh, now the thing was, Jehoshaphat put himself in the hands of a wicked dynasty. And it was a major fault of his not to see that. And then when a prophet, a prophet uh, corrected him for it, he, he repressed it. He forgot, forgot about it and pressed ahead. And here's the thing. His hopes, hopes and dreams project was wrecked. Now, as I said, when you, when you kind of see the, the information about this one ship and how much wealth it contained in this one ship that was wrecked at the bottom of the sea, and you realize that, okay, he didn't have the wealth yet. The ships that were wrecked were empty, but that was his dream, and it went completely. Okay, but I want to finish by saying this. Jehovah learned from this terrible mistake. He learned. And although these trading ships that were meant to go to Ophir for gold, and no doubt full of other goods as well, they never got out of the harbor. They were wrecked at Ezion Geba. 
And then it says in uh, 1 Kings 22:49, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, well, let my sons, let my, my men sail with yours. Let's start the project again. And then it says these words, Jehovah, uh, sorry, Jehoshaphat refused. Jehoshaphat refused. Now, I want to talk to you as maybe in your life you've had major, major problems. Maybe there's been particular sins. Or, well, the Lord says to you, oh, of course, come back. But you now got to refuse to go that way. Don't repeat the same errors, the same faults. Don't go down that path again. Stay with me. It's the great principle that Jehoshaphat had years before proclaimed when he went out to war. He was a a great war leader, as we we saw in the passage I read earlier. And in that speech he gave uh, to the troops and to the people of of, uh, the southern kingdom in... uh, in, in, in uh, uh, to Chronicles 20, he says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms and the nations, power and might are in your hands. At that point, Jehoshaphat was trusting in the God of power. He knew that God was the source of power and God could defend. Well, is not God the source of our security for the future? He didn't need the economic security that came from an alliance with a corrupt and evil man. No, we just need to trust in God. You know, we'll go through, we go through economic problems and stuff like this. Well, okay, God will help us. He's not necessarily going to make us rich, but he'll help us to live, to have enough to live on. He'll give us our food and, and, and uh, our food and, and clothing and, our, and a place to stay. He'll supply for us along the way. We might not live in a palace, we might live in a hovel, but... You know, living in a hovel with Christ is worth infinite riches. Infinite riches. But secondly, Joseph had also realized that he could be delivered from his sins. He'd, he'd given that as part of his speech. That God was a deliverer. Uh, verse 7 in that speech I read said, Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever for the descendants of Abraham? And, and by implication, didn't you deliver us from the slavery in Egypt and bring us into a new land? And God delivers us from our guilt and from our sins. And he's delivered you from your guilt and your sins. And he says, well, don't, repeat, don't go down those way again. Trust in me. And this all comes from grace and love because God has a loving heart towards you. We've been taught by the Lord to call upon him in distress. Joseph said, we will cry out in our distress and you will hear us and save us. It's the grace of God that enables us to respond to disaster by knowing he loves us. This disaster had happened to Joseph at a humiliation, but he wasn't going to repeat it because he'd been delivered and he knew that the way. That's why I think, that's why I think Jehoshaphat responded in the way he did. When after the sinking of ships, he was, he was asked, uh, if you like, to, to, to restart uh, the project, and he refused. Now, here's, here is the wonderful thing. God answers prayer. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, uh, Jehoshaphat said that You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, power and might are in your hand. And God showed his power and might in actually 
chastising Jehoshaphat by that mighty storm that wrecked his, his armada of, of economic prosperity. Actually, in just the same way, of course, that God wrecked the armada that was about to invade Britain uh, 400 years ago, um, more than 400 years ago, when if that armada had succeeded in its, in its task, and the task of the armada was actually to pick up a, a fantastically large army from France, which was waiting there, and then transport them over the channel. And um, there was no way that, we're, that uh, in the, uh, the, the forces in England would have been able to withstand this incredible army. Um, in fact, it, it's interesting that if you actually look into the details of the Spanish Armada, we didn't actually win that ma- I mean, there was a whole series of skirmishes, small-scale skirmishes, really, against the, the Spanish Armada by Francis Drake and Hawkins and so on, um, Howard, these, these, uh, these great men of, uh, of war. Um, but they were only small-scale, and we, most of the skirmishes ended in a stalemate. There was only one that was kind of a, a bit of a victory, but it didn't actually affect the fact there was this, still this gigantic fleet of ships far outnumbered the English ships and far out, out, outpowered them. And the British ships were, were kind of bankrupt. They did, they, there were hardly any shot, any gunpowder left, nothing. But what happened? If they, what happened was God scattered them destroyed the armada with a storm. Now, if they had landed, it wouldn't have been just 300 people burnt at the stake, which is what happened under Mary. It would have been thousands and thousands of Bible-believing Christians that would have died at that time. Thousands, maybe tens of thousands. In the, the Roman Catholic Church killed well over 150,000 Bible believe, or people at least weren't Catholics who claimed to be believing the Bible in the, in the south of France. And the same thing may have happened in Britain. It didn't. God showed his power. And uh, as we're praying for our world today, let's pray that God will deliver his people in, in China, in uh, Nigeria, in, um, in places of the world where, where the believers are really, Korea, but where they're really being, having a hard time. Pray that God will scatter them, uh, the enemies of God, and deliver his people. God has the power to overrule. Now, God used his power in Jehoshaphat's case to chastise him, to bring him back to his senses. Now, the Lord may have taken you through difficulties precisely to do that. Bring you back to your senses. But it's from a heart of love he's done it because he loves you and wants you to come back to himself. And so may the Lord, um, the Lord encourage us um, from these, this Old Testament story that God has purposes in this world he is working out. He has the power to work out on both the international scale and the individual scale. And uh, we can trust him that he will deliver us, he will save us, and he will, uh, he will uh, take us from a position of weakness and strengthen us, as Joseph was uh, for the rest of his life and was faithful for the rest of his life. So let's now just uh, pray. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for the, the Old Testament stories that give objective evidence of your character, that, Lord, you do want people on earth to live in peace injustice and kindness with one another and lord you abominate those regimes that are that uh, uh, kill and massacre and oppress and destroy Uh, lord we thank you also that you show your power lord uh, to save your your people in the old testament but lord that was a 
a faint uh, glimmer of the power to save shown through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we, we know that uh, Jehoshaphat's army and, and Israel was saved from the destruction, the physical destruction of their enemies in that great deliverance. But Lord, we thank you that through the cross, your people have eternal salvation, saved from the hosts of Satan, saved from uh, eternal destruction, saved, Lord, from all of the misery uh, of hell. And we thank you, you did this in Jesus Christ for us. And we thank you, Lord, that we may share in this even tonight. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.